our whole system is different. Our whole system isn't, you know, study so you can take the test. It's do it every day until you get 100% twice in a row. Then you know that you know that you know it. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudoua, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. You know, they say when you get older, time goes by so much faster. And I know that you are so much older now that you're 60. You just turned 60. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, time is relative because it is a percentage of the total. Oh, okay. So when you think about it, one year when you're three years old mm. is one third of your entire life. Oh, it is true. So when you say it's a year until you'll be four, mm-hmm. it's eternity. Right. But when you're 60, one year is only one sixtieth of your life. True. Therefore, it's only going to be a very quick time until you are 61. <laughs> um, plus, you know, if we're busy, time goes quickly. What, what is the saying? The, the hours are long, but the days are short. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so many people do experience that. But uh, why do you mention how fast time goes now that I'm old? <laughs> Well, true confessions, you're only less than a year older than me, so you're not that much older than me. But we're recording an Ask Andrew Anything podcast, and that means we're on the 10th episode. And I thought... We've done more than 10. Well, yes, that's the whole thing. We have done (laughs) 220. We're at episode 220, and it really just feels like we just restarted our podcast series again with episode 200, which was the video Ask Andrew Anything, which was very fun because we featured oh, the students. Oh, the kids in there, yeah. Yeah, the structure good. and style for students. Students were in there asking you all the hard questions, and their parents were asking you easy questions <laughs> or something like that. So I have a bunch of questions for you, boss. All right. Well, I hope they're good ones. Well, of course they are. They're very good. Let's start with Betty. Betty says, my teenager and I are frequently at odds, and he really needs someone else to teach him. (laughs) Sounds like he's exactly the age that he's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, our budget will not allow for a tutor. Will your SSS video courses be comprehensive enough for him to learn from so that we can alleviate some of the headbutting? That's an easy answer. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I have found people tell me over the years, and this was before we have the new SSS, which Mm -hmm. is so much more comprehensive, Mm -hmm. but we just had the uh, SWI and then the continuation course. Mm -hmm. I've had so many people tell me that it allowed their child to learn from the video directly, and it created a better relationship Mm -hmm. because then they could, rather than having to kind of be the person teaching and enforcing. Kind of like the three branches of government all in one. (laughs) They they could come over and be 
helpful mm -hmm. to the student. And then I, on the video, mm -hmm. was doing the direct instruction, mm -hmm. the giving the assignment, the laying down of the law. Right. So, yes, I think it is a great option. Very often, well, we've all had this experience as parents. We say something to our kids 10 times. They don't believe it. They don't hear it. They don't do it. Mm -hmm. And then some other adult says the same thing we said one time. Mm -hmm. And the kid's like, well, Mr. Smith said, mm -hmm. and then boom, he believes it. We're like, right, exactly. okay, you didn't hear me say that 10 times? So there is that benefit of kind of having, you know, the third mm -hmm. person, the the outside authority. Mm -hmm. And that can be accomplished, you know, in many ways. Sometimes there's a book that's written directly to the student and the student and the book have a relationship. That's a hard one to pull off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, another option is uh, you, you can't do a tutor, but maybe there's an online class mm -hmm. and you can have external accountability mm -hmm. there. And then, of course, the option of the video mm -hmm. is almost as good mm -hmm. in that way. So yeah. uh, I think this would definitely – in fact, I have actually had people say to me, I know this might be exaggeration on their part, your writing videos saved our homeschool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I was about to give up. Mm -hmm. Yep. So – Yep. There you go, Betty. All right. Okay. This one is a technical question about – our writing, the, how we teach writing. Mm -hmm. Okay, and this, but actually, it's a. Well, I'll ask a question. Okay, Liz wants to know. Besides the foundational units one and two, what do you think is the most valuable structural model? Well, part of the power of the whole is in its parts, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't go so far as to say mm, an analogy of a car. What's the most important? part <laughs> because if you take out any of the important parts, it won't be a car anymore. Mm -hmm. That's maybe a stretch. But certainly part of the brilliance of the system as Webster developed it over the years was the increasing complexity of the questions that are asked. Mm -hmm. So unit one and two, the question is so easy, you almost don't notice you're asking a question. What are the keywords in a sentence? Mm -hmm. But it's still a question. Mm -hmm. Unit three, the questions get a little tougher. What are the key elements of the story? Mm -hmm. Unit four requires some discernment, some judgment. What are the most interesting, important, or relevant facts to extract and summarize from? Unit five, uh, that can be a real challenge, although for a lot of people, it's a breakthrough because there's no text and there's just pictures and you've got to develop the ability to have kind of a litany of questions you can use. Unit six, not just what are the most interesting, important, and relevant facts, but what's a logical sequencing of those. Mm -hmm. And then unit seven is the blank page. So it would be very tempting to say, well, unit seven, because... When you go out in the real world or if you go take a standardized test or if you have to write something and all you have available is you and your mind and what you carry around in it, that Unit 7 model is where you need to be. And I know some teachers have been very tempted to start at Unit 1 and 2 and then quickly jump to Unit 7 because, well, we've got to prepare the kids for mm -hmm. the state tests. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Unit 7 and 8 are closely related. Mm -hmm. uh, unit, in terms of the model, mm -hmm. Unit 8 is kind of the culmination or, or, I don't know, 
the integration. So on one side, you're learning how to collect up, organize, and, in, and present facts. On the other side, you're learning how to ask increasingly challenging questions. In Unit 8, you have to have facts and support that with your own thoughts or vice versa. So certainly while Unit 7 and 8 are kind of the target, mm-hmm. and then Unit 9 is just, you know, denouement, frosting on the cake, right. you know. Mm-hmm. I... I I would love to encourage everyone not to cherry pick, but to trust the system, yep. work through the nine units, even if you only have time to do a week or two on unit five. Mm-hmm. It's better to have done a little bit and then move on than to skip it entirely. And I've learned that the hard way yep. over, over the years. Yep. We have done a series of podcasts on each of the different units, units one and two. Mm-hmm. Three. We'll put some links in the show notes so that if any of our listeners are not familiar with our structural models, well, you should be. You can but, be. But if you're not, you can be. Yes. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so the other part of structure and style, of course, is style. So I have a style question. Okay, good. And this is from Marcy. She asks, what is Andrew's favorite dress-up? <laughs> and then I answer that other way just elaborate a little bit. The answer I heard him give in a podcast was different than the answer I heard in a video course that you had done in the past. Are dress-ups kind of like children? His favorite depends on what day it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me describe for you uh, my breakfasts, since no one has asked, what does Andrew eat for breakfast? Yes. So almost every day when I get up early enough and have time, I peel and chop some garlic And then uh, hopefully I have some asparagus. Mm -hmm. So then I chop a couple, two or three stalks of asparagus, Mm -hmm. uh, pretty small. And uh, then I get some olives, usually some garlic or jalapeno stuffed olives, and I chop those. If I have some cilantro, you know, and I put that in the skillet and saute it up a little bit. If I have some leftover meat, like some leftover steak or lamb or chicken or even hamburger, I'll put a little bit of that in saute that up, and then I take it out of the skillet and I put in two eggs. And then I fry the eggs uh, sunny side up, but not too cooked because you put the sauteed vegetable Mm. meat mixture on top of that. Mm -hmm. And then I melt the uh, the, uh, Parmesan cheese Mm -hmm. on top of all that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Depending on my mood, I might go with fresh habaneros chopped into the mixture or some very hot hot sauce. Um, and that's what I eat pretty much every morning that I have time. Um, Sounds pretty elaborate. It is elaborate. A lot of interesting flavors it, there. It takes the time. But sometimes I'm out of an ingredient. Mm. I'm missing something. There's mm-hmm. no asparagus. Mm-hmm. So I have to look, is there any other vegetable I would be willing to substitute? Mm-hmm. Or maybe just no, I, mm-hmm. I, not. I, I will not put green bell peppers where asparagus should be. Or eggplant. Eggplant is not even a vegetable. <laughs> um, but what I think about the style techniques now is that they work best when they're balanced. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want too many L-Y words just like you don't want too much garlic. Mm-hmm. You don't want too many clauses. You, you just like a balance of these things. And I didn't come up with the perfect balance of this particular breakfast meal the first time. Mm-hmm. Every day I do it, I get a little bit 
better at、mm. just judging the ingredients, the time for cooking. It's really getting close to perfection. <laughs> and I would compare that with the style techniques.、Mm. Is that you know you could say yes, the garlic is my favorite, but what's the point?、Mm-hmm. You know, you could say well the olives. No, if if anything's missing, it's just not quite the same. And so when you create a a paragraph that has judiciously appropriately used dress up techniques, maintains a variety of sentence openers, and then、uh, if you're in a unit where you want to have you know a topic clincher, maybe you have a decoration, that is like crafting the perfect breakfast. <laughs>、um, And you can do it again and again and again, and discover that yes, the ingredients are what make the whole. Great, sounds delicious. What time's breakfast? Ah, well,、Wait. if you ever really want to come over, tell me in advance so I cannot put the habaneros in the mixture. <laughs> This is true, because <laughs> I would cry and only taste the habaneros. Okay, I have a question. This one might take a little bit longer for you to answer, but it's a, an exciting question. Samantha asks, "I'm an accidental homeschooler, and I have considered homeschooling in the past, and I know it's ultimately what will be best for my children long term. Which is, you know, in some cases, children that's maybe best for them; in other cases, it won't. So, in、right. Samantha's case, she's discerned that maybe homeschooling would be the best for her children. Then she says, 'But I am scared. I am not going to teach them enough, or that I'm going to teach them the wrong things. How do I know?'" What to teach my children? You're already homeschooling, Samantha. If、yeah. You're asking that question because every homeschool mom well, and dad the, ask that question. The first thing, and I think most people who've been homeschooling for a long time、mm-hmm. th- would answer is the first thing is you, you're not jumping in this pool and can't get out if you don't want to. This、right. is not a permanent commitment. You can take it year by year,、mm-hmm. and a lot of people have discovered that. You know, if they have several children, there's a time when they would put one child in school、mm-hmm. for a year or two or more, whereas they wouldn't the others. So you, it's not an all or nothing deal. But the most important thing is just go one year at a time、mm-hmm. and just say, you know what, we'll try this year. And if this year goes decently well, we'll figure out next year.、Mm-hmm. And that's how a lot of people do end up. Homeschooling, you know, for all all twelve years, ten twelve years,、yeah. is not by committing to the whole thing、mm-hmm. as if there's no other option after you decide,、mm-hmm. but is commit to what you can reasonably handle、mm-hmm. psychologically. I would actually, though, flip this question back、mm. on Samantha. Samantha,、mm-hmm. I would be afraid. Of what my children might not learn if they went to a school, I would be afraid. Will the school be able to meet their needs as individuals?、Uh, will the school be able to provide for them the right priorities of instruction? You know, we've talked、uh, in the past about character,、mm-hmm. knowledge, and skills,、mm-hmm. and that some of those intangibles, as Mrs. Ingham would talk about them. The things that are the real human things you take into adulthood, more than the facts you learned or the math level you got to, are who you are as a person. Those、right. character elements 
are, are actually so much more likely to be mm-hmm. developable um, in a home environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just saw yesterday on CNN, okay, right, a, a major right. news website, an article, uh, many kids are happier now, and it had a whole bunch of different quotes. My kids, you know, they're playing with their siblings. They didn't used to have time to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, they're... They they have the freedom to do projects. Mm-hmm. We used to be so busy. It was go to school, do the homework, go to, you know, ballet, come home uh, day after day. Right. And so there's a certain leisure that many children are experiencing now mm-hmm. accidentally. Right. Which many homeschoolers discovered along the way. Mm-hmm. And, of course, one of the, I guess, completely ironic word origins is the word school, Yes, which is from the Greek skole, which mm-hmm. means leisure. leisure. Mm-hmm. Study, right, is from the Latin uh, studium, which means zeal. Oh, okay. Right? Mm-hmm. So we don't normally think about zeal and leisure as the byproducts of going to school. Right, right. But very often what we discover homeschooling either – because of a special needs or because of mm-hmm. special circumstance in the mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. is that those two things are much more possible mm-hmm. and that they're actually nurturing the soul, right. developing the character, working on the intangibles. And the academics will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. And I'll just guarantee, Samantha, was it? Mm-hmm. There's no teacher in any school who covers all the bases. It's true. I, I taught school for a couple years and... Uh, here's a secret, and I know every school teacher would say that this is true. We can't cover everything that the books tell us to cover every yeah. year. Just there are things that happen. Yeah. And so we don't finish the entire school year. Yeah. So but yet it, somehow those kids get promoted to the next grade. <laughs> yeah. So if if you don't do everything that you mm-hmm. think you're supposed to do, that's just kind of normal. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and I, I would just want to point you, Samantha, to a couple of talks that Andrew has given. One is cultivating language arts, preschool through high school, just to kind of get a perspective of what it could look like, depending on what how old your children are. But then we did a podcast. No, I'm sorry. We did a webinar together right. of two accidental homeschoolers. Yeah. And so we'll put a link in the show notes to that. And I think a lot of the focus of that particular webinar was hey, this is only for a season, you know, but redeem the time. This is a great time to get outdoors, to try something new like cooking. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I sometimes tell the story of how my parents had this habit of kind of drilling mm-hmm. when drilling was not a, an evil word, mm-hmm. of just practicing yep. things like spelling words and math facts mm-hmm. whenever they were around, you mm-hmm. know, on the car, on the boat we had. I remember specifically helping my mother cook mm-hmm. and her running spelling words verbally. Right. And I would just practice spelling words that were on the spelling list. Yep. And, you know, that kind of organic, integrated, home, practical, plus mm-hmm. the things you need to learn mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, language and math, that can, that can happen throughout the fabric of the time. Yep rather than in isolated, disintegrated little chunks that often kids experience. Yep. Yeah. Well, we could just talk for hours and hours. But you about have this, more questions. But I do have more All questions. All right. Well okay. what's another one? Okay, so this is uh, about one of our products. Jane asks, 
How is the phonetic zoo different from other programs? And is spelling important? (laughs) (laughs) Well, certainly there's been a big shift from, say, 100 years ago when everyone believed that spelling was very important to the argument now, well, you know, everybody has spell checkers and computers and you don't really even have to write on paper. Mm-hmm. You can just talk to your machines mm-hmm. and and spelling is not nearly as important or maybe it isn't at all. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are kind of the extremes of opinion and, sure. and usually the balance is in the middle. There certainly are some people who are, you know, very dyslexic or dysgraphic. It's really hard for them to learn and they will grow up and become adults who are not perfect spellers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's also other kids who are going to see a spelling bee sign me up, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. and and love the challenge of that. So, you know, children are all individuals, and, and I certainly wouldn't give up on teaching spelling. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are different approaches. And uh, that's a question I love to answer because our program really is very, very different than anything else out there because it's an auditory approach Mm -hmm. rather than a paper-based visual workbook type of approach. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things uh, I've pointed out, you know, and go into great detail in my talk, Spelling in the Brain, is that spelling is a sequential activity. To spell a word right, you have to get all the letters, but you also have to get them in the right order. Exactly, yep. You know, and other than mixing up some vowels here and there, that's probably one of the biggest challenges is the right order Mm -hmm. for all the letters. So when you see a word and you're looking at it, there's no sequential storage of that information. It kind of goes into your brain all at once. Mm -hmm. There's a global, a spatial, an image-based storage. Mm -hmm. But if there's any kind of visual processing challenge, that image can get a bit scrambled on the way in. Right. And if it gets scrambled on the way in, you can be sure it'll be scrambled on the way out. With our approach, because it's auditory, Mm -hmm. the kids hear the word, you know, hear it in a sentence, hear the word, and they try to write the word. Uh, Then the real power of the program is where the word is being spelled out loud one letter at a time. By you and by by Dr. Webster. And Dr. Webster on audio. Mm -hmm. And the child then compares what they hear with what they wrote. Mm -hmm. So the the self-correcting mechanism really is an auditory input, which by its nature is sequential. Mm -hmm. If I spell a word for you, I have to say it one letter at a time. (laughs) Yes. Right? There's no other way. Mm -hmm. Now, some kids are, are, a a very small number of kids may be more auditorily confused than they are visually, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but those are our beloved kinesthetic learners. Yes, yes. But for a lot of children, this auditory input is a completely different experience. The other approach is, you know, when we were in school, I don't know if you had the same system, but they give you a list on Monday, and then you're supposed to, quote, study it, Mm -hmm. and then you take the pretest on Thursday, and if you get 90% on the pretest, you get an A, and you don't have to take the the Friday test. Mm -hmm. But if you don't, then you go study some more, and then you take the test on Friday. Only nobody ever said, how do you study, Mm -hmm. right? So for a lot of people, they think, well, if I just stare at it, for a while, right? Well, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the benefit of, like I said earlier, a mother who somehow got this list mm-hmm. and would actually do this kind of verbal auditory practice method. Mm. And I remember taking the test. I knew that I knew the word, 
but I kind of had to say it to myself mm -hmm. one letter at a time, you know, and get it on the paper. And, and so I could usually always get 100%. Mm -hmm. Without her, I don't know what I would have done because mm -hmm. I don't remember the teachers ever giving you a method mm -hmm. of studying. Now, I've seen some schools where they say to the kids, you know, write the word 10 times mm -hmm. and then you take a test or whatever. Our whole system is different. Our whole system isn't, you know, study so you can take the test. It's do it every day until you get 100% twice in a row. Then you know that you know that you know it. Right. And whether it takes you four days or 14 days, it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. You will get 100%. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like, you know, a guaranteed success method. So it works particularly well for kids who have felt that they couldn't learn mm -hmm. to spell in some other system because it's just a completely different approach. And as with everything, we have a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If it isn't working, you know, just send it back and try something else. Right. Good. Okay. I'm a little concerned that we're going to go over today, but these last two questions that I have for you are so good. Well, people can just turn it off whenever they want to. Right? This is true. This is true. <laughs> no captive but, audience here. No. Well, but, you know, it's got to last as long as my 30-minute walk in the morning. Oh, okay. Oh, then, you know, so that's... And now no you longer. know. All right. Now so you what's know. what's the next great question? Okay. So, okay, this question comes from Amanda, and I think she probably had listened to your talk or our podcast on the four deadly errors of teaching writing. We okay. just had that yeah. not too long ago, and her question ultimately is, "How do I know if I'm truly withholding help?" But let me give you the background story. Okay. okay? She says, "Hello, Mr. Pudwad, Mrs. Walker. Yeah, thank you." Amanda, I'm enjoying your current podcast series, but it leads me to a challenging question. I will preface the question with two critical points. One, I have amazing parents. Two, I am an only child. As a child, I received tons of help. Papers were written for me. The only science fair project I ever submitted was done for me. I didn't understand it then and only slightly understand it now. Incidentally, it was about anesthesia drugs because that's what my dad does. <laughs> so now that I'm homeschooling, 10-year-old girl, 7-year-old boy, 4-year-old girl, I wonder if I have a tendency to withhold help out of fear that I'm pushing them, that I'm doing it for them. I'm taking the fun out of the experience by let, not letting them free think, etc. But sometimes I might take whining for being tired or not wanting to do something hard. I know this might be a loaded question, but I appreciate any insights your team can provide. I I do think that she hit on an interesting point. Children do get tired. Mm -hmm. We get tired. Yes. We probably forget <clears throat> that by nature, their ability to concentrate on something is far less than ours. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a particular phenomena in attentiveness that I have observed. I noticed this way back when I was coaching parents on practicing violin with kids. And that is when you start something, it's kind of going well and it gets better and there's engagement mm -hmm. level and it's mm -hmm. very high. And then at a certain point, it peaks out. But it isn't a gradual downslope. It is a cliff drop. Mm. When a child has reached the peak capacity for attentiveness and they are done, they are done. And they will just need to be done. Whereas what a lot of us as parents, what we like to do 
is milk it for all it's worth, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's going so well. Mm-hmm. Let's just go a little bit more. Let's try a little further. Mm-hmm. How about this one more thing? So you're trying to push up the curve, and the kid is all the way halfway down to the mm-hmm. complete bottom. Yep. So my coaching for, for parents, particularly in violin practice with you know children that age and younger, is stop anywhere before the top yes. of the curve. Yes. Stop anywhere before the peak of attentiveness and say, okay, we're done for the day or we're done for now. And and the child's like, oh, okay. And and, and there there's that feeling of like, well, I, I could have done more. Mm-hmm. I, I would have liked to continue, mm-hmm. right? Yep. <clears throat> but if you stop anywhere after the peak, the after feeling is... That was so exhausting. Mm-hmm. I hope I don't have to do that again anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So definitely shortening the time, mm-hmm. uh, especially, you know, her statement that maybe the whining is connected with tiredness. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, you know, I have found if you kind of kick it back on the kid and say, oh, so this is hard for you right now? Mm-hmm. Let's take a break. Exactly. You, you tell me when you want to come back to this, mm-hmm. and I'll be here for you. Yep. But, you know, her question points toward another thing, which I have mentioned, and that is we do have to discern the difference between helping and meddling, mm-hmm. right? So helping is when you respond to a, a student who indicates in some form, either explicitly or implicitly, I will. I need help to finish this. I need help mm-hmm. to be able to accomplish this. Mm-hmm. I need help to be able to understand this. Meddling is when we go go and and try to push the thing and say, "Well, let me explain this a little bit more for you. Mm-hmm. Or let me give you more suggestions. Let me write a paper or do a <laughs> science fair project for you." Um, and children get allergic to that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so. They, if they feel like you are interfering with their freedom mm-hmm. to do something, mm-hmm. then there will be resistance. Mm-hmm. There will be uh, some form of communicating that. Right. So it's not an easy question to answer because the wisdom is in the balance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think that's the general two best guidelines I can give is helping is when you perceive that a child would need the help mm-hmm. to be successful. Mm-hmm. And and if they're not, then just let it go. Mm-hmm. Let them try. And maybe they'll do it or maybe they won't. Mm-hmm. But, but give the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Then if you discover that they were not successful or had errors or didn't understand something, don't do the ex post facto teaching which is to right then and there say, well, this is what you didn't do as -hmm. you should have, Mm -hmm. and here's what you should have done. Mm -hmm. No. Drop it, come back the next day or the next week, and then teach at that point of need, represent Mm -hmm. the concept as kind of a fresh idea, and let them try it out again. Yep. Okay. Amanda, I hope that helps. Okay, our last question is such a great question that we actually sent it to you. You responded directly to the the questioner, and then we took most of your answer and changed the name to to protect the innocent. And but this has to do with motivation 
and contrived relevancy. Mm-hmm. And this parent was using video games as a way to reward her son for doing his work. Yeah, and it got to the that. point where he was just saying, well, kind of like what you said in the motivation talk, I don't want to do it. The punishment is better than failing. So can you just speak well, to... Well, if I recall, this was a a, a very young child, mm-hmm. um, eight, eight and a half years old, if I'm correct. And the deal was if you do your schoolwork without getting counted one, two, three mm-hmm. uh, for the day, you get 20 minutes of video games, mm-hmm. which in itself would send up maybe a red flag, mm-hmm. but isn't the biggest problem that I perceived because uh, she went on to point out that it had got now to where he wouldn't do anything without the video game mm-hmm. reward. Right. And and he was actually moving into extortion, right? <laughs> right. And, and as she put it, and I thought this was very linguistically advanced for a child of that age, I won't even consider it unless video games are on the table. On the table. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, I wrote to her and I said, well, I think, number one, your child, you know, is very intelligent. Mm-hmm. He has a great auditory memory. He's picked up on that kind mm-hmm. of expression. You probably read to him a lot. So I'm mm-hmm. sure you're doing many things right. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that that is the right form of contrived relevancy. Video games. Because of the addictive nature, the instant gratification type of way that it was working, do this now, and immediately after that, you get, you know, your your video game. And of course, in my imagination, I can extrapolate out how does that continue? How do the negotiations go over the next five years? Mm. Um, you have a lot of um, authority and control over the environment of your home for an eight, nine-year-old boy. Yeah. You have way less authority over the environment and control over a young teenager. Yep. And if that pattern holds, uh, that could become very problematic down the line. Mm -hmm. So my suggestion to her was, yes, I acknowledge the fact that It would be great if kids were motivated out of a desire to learn, motivated to discover the truth in things, you know, kind of these high and lofty philosophical educational ideals. But for a child that age, the truth is what's good for me is that I get what I want. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's true. So then the art of it becomes figuring out how to create a system where they can get something which they want, but actually is good for them, and they believe it. The video game, the child believes it's good for him, but it may not, in actuality, be good for him. Right. And so what I suggested was something that would remove the video games, and I think I used the word cold turkey, just mm-hmm. just get rid of it for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you, you'll bring it back in. But eight and a half is very young mm-hmm. to start feeding that. So just get rid of it out of the house and then replace it with some things, you know, that are going to be enjoyable for him and also good for him. 
and maybe come up with an economic system where he can earn, you know, points or chips or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's more of a long term. So he has to earn, you know, the chips by following the rules, losing chips by being fined when right. he breaks the rules, mm-hmm. and then having an account from which certain privileges can be, quote, purchased right. with those points. And those privileges are things that are actually better for the soul. Mm -hmm. I also suggested that maybe – I mean you get an email like that and you don't know – you don't know more than you do know about this child and the personality and the dynamic and the family situation and all that. But I got the feeling that maybe the academics was being pushed a little bit too much Mm. for a child that young. Mm Uh, you know, when you take a, a young boy and set them down to do reading, writing, and arithmetic, mm-hmm. and they get exhausted, and your ideal and their capacity are just disconnected, somewhat like we mentioned before, yeah. yep. the parent, the parent's expectation may just be unreasonable. Mm-hmm. And so maybe not just take a break from video games, but take a break from, quote, schoolwork and use that time to do some other things that could accomplish, you mm-hmm. know, some word games, some, you know, games uh, that require a little bit of math, you know, like Monopoly or Catan or, mm-hmm. you know, something. I, I think that, you know, we've kind of lost the board game, interactive, physical, doing this thing together and learning from that experience. Mm-hmm. And we've replaced it with screens. Uh, many times the screen games are just individual, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially at that age uh, or people that are not even there. So, you know, that was kind of the gist of it. Um, people can read the whole thing I wrote, but right. I labored over. I took, well, almost over an hour and a half to yep. refine that thing to the point where I was – because I, I didn't want to come across as being critical. right. And saying, you know, you're a horrible parent for letting your eight-and-a-half-year-old child play video games every day. And I know that's not what you would and think. And that isn't at all what I was saying. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, okay, let's – if this is where you are and, and that's where you want to be, right? what's a possible next step on this path? Right. Well, and of course, we'll put a link in our show notes to that blog post that Andrew wrote. And I also want to just give a shout-out to our friend Monica Swanson, boy mom. Because her recent podcast, she asked her boys this question, and she's got four boys, and one is in high school, one's in middle school, elementary, and then two are off to college. But she asked them about the video game thing. And her high school student, basically his answer was, yeah, I don't play video games pretty much at all because they're not really valuable. There's nothing, there's no end game to my playing video. I'm not learning anything from it. I'd rather go out and surf. Well, he's a champion surfer, so oh. that's probably why. Is she the one whose son asked me what car I drive? Yes, exactly. And that was, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. So we will link to uh, that podcast and I think you'll find it. And we're, we definitely need to have her back on our show and talk to yeah. talk to us about boy moms. Boy moms. Yeah, yeah. Sounds great. Well, thank you, Andrew. I know we went a little long, listeners. I appreciate your patience, but I'm sure that you, like me, gleaned much from listening to Andrew. So I thank you, Andrew. Thank you.
Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.